0: It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Doing Good. I am your host, Carmen Herbert. Today, I am so excited to be talking with an amazing person an incredible man and good friend, Chad Hymas. Chad, thank you so much for coming on my podcast today.
0: Hi, Carmen. Thank you.
1: This will be so exciting and fun. I'm really looking forward to talking with you and kind of digging deep into sure. what in the world makes you so amazing. I mean, I'm sure there's so many things, but um, for those of you who I think don't... we
0: should re-record that, just so I can let my wife hear the word amazing. Hey, yeah, this yeah, is <laughs> I, get that a repeat. Just keep replaying sure that.
1: He knows exactly how incredible, <laughs> and amazing you are, and she seems like she is equally wonderful and it's not amazing.
0: Great, yeah, that great.
1: So, for those of you who don't know Chad or or what he does, at the age of 27, his life changed in an instant when a 2,000-pound bale of hay shattered his neck, leaving him a quadriplegic. But Chad's dreams were not paralyzed that day. He became an example of what is possible. He's a best-selling author, the president of his own communications company, and recognized world-class wheelchair athlete. In fact, in two thousand three, Chad, this was the same year I was on American Idol. You set a world record by wheeling your chair from Salt Lake City to Las Vegas. Did that take several days? Was this like straight through? Did you rest? Like, how,
0: yeah, how- it took eleven. It took eleven days. It was probably the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, <laughs> it was 11 days, and we did rest. We we wheeled about 8 to 10 hours a day and tried for 53 miles a day.
1: 8 to 10 hours a day. That is incredible. Did you have a team with you? Was this something? Yeah,
0: full-on We had a bus okay. and a motorcade. Through major cities, it was a, usually a police motorcade. So Cedar City, Salt Lake City, obviously, and then Las Vegas and Mesquite. St. So George, also a motorcade. But other than that, it was kind of, there were some lonely times as well.
1: What I'm did sure. you, were you on the highway? Like Um,
0: mainly the highway, mainly I-15, but there was frontage roads that we had to take um, through Cedar and St. George. We did, we get off on frontage roads, but mainly on the highway.
1: Oh my goodness. I want to talk to you more about that and what inspired you. (laughs) We can talk
0: about that. That would be a good conversation for today as well. That would be kind of cool to talk about.
1: Okay, let's do it. So your speaking career in the areas of leadership, Team building, customer service, and mastering change has brought you multiple honors. You served as president of the National Speakers Association, the Utah chapter, and you are a member of the Elite Speakers Roundtable. One of one of twenty of the world's top speakers, which is amazing, and you've traveled, you travel as many as three hundred thousand miles a year, speaking to audiences around the world. You have graced the stage of hundreds of professional and civic organizations, including Wells Fargo, Blue Cross Blue Shield, AT and T, Rainbird, IHC, American Express. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I think what is so awesome is that the Wall Street Journal calls you one of the ten top most inspirational people in the world. That's quite an honor.
0: That was unexpected. Uh, yeah, in fact, I got a call from a mutual friend, Kevin Hall, that told me that. That I remember exactly where I was that, Carmen, when when I found out about that, because um, I had no idea. I was in Las Vegas at the airport at McCarran Airport, and Kevin Hall called me and said, "Have so Have you seen the Wall Street Journal?" And, I, and that's when I went right to the newspaper stand and I pulled it up, and it was there. Oh my um, gosh! So that was kind of cool. Um, to, to I don't know, just to just to. To, to be recognized for what we're talking about today, to for for trying to find a place to contribute because after yeah. the accident, you kind of and everybody goes through this. You, you wonder everybody goes through this in one form or another. Do you have a place to fit in? What's your calling? What's my purpose? What's my passion? You know, yep. where can I find a place to to really do something for somebody? And so uh, I'm excited to talk about this topic today with you. I'm
1: really excited to talk with you. So let's jump right in. When you were 26. So before the accident, had you ha- did you have aspirations of being a public speaker or being in the oh, public? Heavens, way?
0: no, my dream my dream's simple. My dream's easy. I mean, I, my dream's always been to be surrounded by these animals and to be a hunting guide. I know that sounds kind of I mean, to be a farmer and a rancher. I know that sounds a little bit different, but I love farming. I love ranching. I love cattle, but my favorite animal, and I think is one of God's most majestic creatures uh, uh, second to us is elk. I just, I love elk and so we raised elk on the farm. My dream was always to raise elk and release them on 28,000 acres in the Rocky Mountains and then have people pay me to want to go hunt that ground. That's always been my dream. So prior to the accident, that's what, no speaking, none of that, just, just, just building that dream and that was gonna be my good. Here's the, so here's kind of the irony of this is, as we talk about doing good and what I thought was gonna be my plan, as you just mentioned, 300,000 miles a year. I think it's now been 89 countries. And I share this very, very graciously and humbly. Oh, Uh, my goodness. That's a lot. I used to think that 28,000 acres, Carmen, was a big piece (laughs) of ground. Yeah. So that's what I thought. But 89 countries is crazy crazy big. It is. and, And I used to think that being a guide involved orange, orange, orange ca- or camouflage, right? Yes. Orange gear, PPE, yep. protective equipment, maybe a bow or uh, you know a weapon or taking one or two people up in the mountains and getting them close to an animal and giving them experience of a lifetime. Here we are today talking on a podcast and who knows how many people are going to hear this from who wh- wherever they're hearing from. Uh, but I do know that I've been to 89 countries on all seven pieces of ground that God made. The message is this. I think sometimes we have this plan and we think it's going to be our, our way of sharing and contributing and doing good. Yeah. And God has such a greater plan for us. 89 countries is such a such a massive plan and, and such a bigger piece of ground, a much bigger oh, piece yeah. of ground. And then I go outside at nighttime up here at the lodge and I look up in the sky and I see all the stars. And I think to myself, you know, so much bigger than what I ever anticipated. There's gotta be, there's gotta be a lot of elk up there. There's yeah. gotta be a lot of farms up there. There's gotta yeah. be a lot of alfalfa fields up there that that's what i think to myself and there's got to be a lot of unlimited water no drought up there right so, so i just think sometimes as we think about doing good i think about we think too small and then i think sometimes we think we have to do things on a bigger scale and what i've learned is it's the small things that we do that lead to the greater good i love that and I want people to recognize that, that they don't have to go and be in 89 countries, nor do they have to have 28,000 acres. Maybe it's just something as simple as sitting. Here's one. We have an adopted son. You know this, Carmen. He's the African-American from Ethiopia. Yes. And um, I have been home since this pandemic hit our, our world for the last six months. And I can't tell you, of a time that I remember me doing homework with my children. I um, oh. I don't I, – I, 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 I'm just telling you, I, I don't recall because I've been gone. I've been traveling. Oh. And so I, not, not that that's a good excuse. I just don't recall a time where I have done the specific deed of homework with any of my children. Yeah. And in the last six months, and at first – Caleb just asked me if I would come and do math with him. And so I wheeled my chair up and I do not know what the heck he was doing. It made no sense to me.
1: What grade but is he in?
0: He's in six. sixth. Sixth grade math. That's
1: my yeah. son, too. Yeah.
0: And I just me how to to, it's yeah. a huge transition, right? This is getting ready for getting ready for the, high. the next level of school. And so it's yeah. tough math. It's math that's probably simple from I just didn't even get it. And the truth <laughs> is this, He just bought it. He just wanted me to sit by him.
1: He just wanted time with that.
0: Yeah. So I just sat there and and we kind of worked through the problems together. And I would look some stuff on YouTube and, and we just kind of figured things out together and wrong or right. It was just that one, all influences is is doing good for somebody else. Let me rephrase that because we do have influencers that do bad. I mean, let me just bring that. I mean, all influences is is to be able to maintain followers. a have a following and people that's what influences. Do you have one follower, two followers? That doesn't matter. Good, bad, influence is maintaining followers. Mm-hmm. I don't like what Hitler did, but you got to hand it to him. He had followers. He had I don't like what Bin Laden did. Got to hand it to him. He had followers. So I'm trying to get followers for good. Kind of like what you're doing with this podcast. Followers for good. I went and sat by my son, and now we have a homework study every Wednesday. And all of his friends.
1: Oh. Over oh, fun.
0: But that would have not happened had that one little Mom, Dad, will you just come sit by me and, and help me do some math? And I wheeled up. And said, "I, This doesn't make sense to me. Well, then maybe you could just sit by me, Dad. And it all started. So now we have like 10 of us. And all of us friends that come over. Amazing. And yes, there's ice cream involved. That's always involved. Of but course. But we, we do math, right? Right, Carmen? So that's, it can be something as simple as that. And I, I, I equate know. that to the, I, I'm sorry to mean it. I equate that to the worlds and, and the the countries that I've been to. It's just it's just the small things that we do, Carmen.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I was going to say I love that you brought that up, that it, it's often the little things that we do with and the one-on-one time that we spend that changes our lives and changes the lives of those that we're with. And I love that you talk about turning a bad situation, like a pandemic, into something good, that Heavenly Father can always take whatever is happening in our lives and turn it for our good. That's what he does. He turns water to wine. He does everything for our benefit and for our good, if we let him. And if you you're would have right. been like, no, yeah. I don't have time to sit with you or no, because heaven knows, of course you're busy. Of course you have things that you're doing. It's not like your job has stopped. It's just different. And it's so easy to say, I can't, I can't, I can't. But because you listened and you took the time, now look what it's done. And, and look how much it's changed your son's life, knowing that my dad loves me and he'll just take the time to sit with me. Sometimes it's interesting with my kids. Some of them just want me to be there. They don't even necessarily want to say anything. They just want me there. They want you and there. They present. want me there. They want yeah. me present. They just yeah. need to be like, if I ask her a question, she's there to answer. So they'll kind of sit around me while I'm making dinner or in the car or whatever. And, and just knowing that, okay, mom is here is enough for them and is comforting to them just knowing that and I I have
0: an acronym for that I call it visible I just call VFL visible felt leadership so instead of telling them to go do their homework be visible felt and I love that be right there with them visible felt you know just because we have children doesn't make us a good parent right right it's demonstrated by behavior so I've kind of I've kind of learned this the last six months that I need to be more visible in. I mean, missing not missing my kids' ball games, that was great, but maybe that wasn't enough. And so I'm trying to maybe make up for a little bit of lost time.
1: I and do you know what? I think that we are always relearning the things. It's like in church, you hear the same stories over and over and over and over and over. I think yeah. we learn the same life lessons over and over and over too right? Sure, it just, yeah, we, sure. we have to relearn them in different situations and, and we have to, it's, re, it's repetition. Um, I, I love that you talked about how you had this plan, 28,000 acres. You were going to be a hunter. You must've been influential okay. and, and good with people. If you wanted to be a guide, you had to be comfortable around people. So heavenly father had kind of honed your talents of being comfortable with people, being a leader, being in charge. And then there was a, a time where now you speak to hundreds of thousands of people worldwide, but there was a a literal breaking point in your life. Um, Someone shared a story recently on Facebook and of a little family that was in a gift store and the little boy wanted some glow sticks and his brother tried to take them from him so he could show him how they worked. And he was screaming. He didn't let him take them. And finally the little boy grabbed him and he cracked them. And then his brother stopped crying. And he said, I had to break them so they could glow And I think about that with your story, Heavenly Father literally broke you so you could grow and do so much more than you imagined. So can you kind of take us back to when you were 27 years old, that breaking moment, and how you have been able to glow from that?
0: Well, you're making me think of that talk by Elder Holland, and I'll just make it really kind of paraphrase it, that we just heard last week where he said, how would we feel if at the end of our life we went up to live with a savior and all of us had this great life without any challenges and being a savior's presence who had all these challenges, we wouldn't feel like we could fit in. It just wouldn't feel feel good. And so I love the way you just said about breaking. And I, for me, it was, you know, after I made that mistake in the field, I I did, I made it, I made a mistake and we can make this really brief as far as the mistake goes. I, I had gotten that call from Shondell that day. It was April third, two thousand and one, and she had asked, "So this is just a couple of years before your American Idol tour, and a couple of years before I took that that road trip." Shondell called me up and asked me to hurry home because Kyler just taken his first two steps, and I got on a tractor. and I want our listeners to listen to this very carefully because I think it's 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 very poignant in each of our lives. I I got on a tractor, and I immediately saw a red light flash and carmen on the dashboard and the red light was an indicator that the hydraulic was the hydraulic tank was empty it would okay. be like people driving their car out on the road and seeing that the gas light is oh, off okay and, and I don't know how many of us have done that I, but I'm going to ask you not to raise your hand because you feel stupid when you do that but <laughs> that's exactly what I did I just I I wanted to see how far I could get okay remember that I wanted to see how far I could get and and the reason why I wanted to do that, I don't know that I necessarily was trying to test myself, but I'd never gotten caught before. So i made my tractor work with a red light, never gotten caught in a bad situation.
1: Yep. And I
0: think there's a subtle message right there for each one of our listeners that just because you don't get caught, doing something that you know is wrong makes it right.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: think that we need to listen to the, I call it the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. I I think we're given warnings. I think we intuitively understand right from wrong. We're given that gift as we're mm-hmm. born into this life. Yeah, the so, light of Christ. Right, it's the light of Christ. So we all have that light and we're, we're given that gift. And, and I think, especially in today's world with social media and young adults, it's very easy to not listen to the red light or the warning signs that might come up on an eye device um, or an iPad or a computer, and get yourself completely stuck and trapped. In fact, I've met people that can walk, Carmen, and I can't, and they're more paralyzed than I am. And I, I don't say that to be mean or rude. I just there are people that find themselves trapped. Yes. So, you know that the turning point for me is, or at least part of the turning point was, in my dad and a gentleman by the name of Neil Maxwell, who um, as, uh, somebody that I met in my mission, as he came over to set apart the first stake and an apostle, he came over when I was injured, my mission president had let him know of my injury. So he came to give me a blessing. And in that blessing, he asked, I thought he was going to heal me. I, I'm Carmine. I, I hope that that sounds okay. Coming across on your podcast, but of course I believe that those men had the power to heal. So I, 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 I truly believe that they, they are, uh, They're seers. They're revelators. They have the the gift and power to heal. Just like Joseph Smith healed several people when he was on the earth. I believe that those men had that same power. So I expected when Elder Maxwell came that by the time he left or soon thereafter, that I would be, I mean, that's how desperate to walk I was and to get back to my dream and to get back to building and creating what I wanted for me. And he didn't say that in his blessing. He he blessed me with the ability to be a better husband, and I thought that was a joke. He blessed <laughs> me to be a better father. I thought that that was a joke because I can't play catch with him anymore. He blessed me to be a better guide. I thought he didn't even know what guide meant. That's what I was thinking. I, I was saying, hey, you're talking to the wrong guy. And then he said two more things. He asked me or blessed me to be a better disciple. I didn't understand that one because I couldn't even turn the pages Because my hands are numb, so I can't turn the pages on the book anymore the way that I used to. Back then, we didn't have eye devices, so I couldn't turn the pages on the book the way that I used to. And and then he asked me to be a better contributor to my fellow men. I thought all five of those were out of line by Elder Maxwell. That's what I thought. And uh, my dad came into the room after Elder Maxwell left, and he said, So are you going to do what the apostle said? And I said, you know... Well, I, I first of all, I said some things that I can't repeat on the podcast. and <laughs> I'm, I'm just being transparent here. That's all. Of course. Yeah, that's, that's all. And my dad, this is a good, my dad walked out of the hospital room. Uh, I think there was a message right there. I, I just thought of this. Carmen, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. How do you know when Heavenly Father is not happy with maybe a choice that you've made in your life? I'm not mm. assuming, I look at you and I think perfection. So don't think that, no that, that, way. that, that, that you know the answer So not how do you know heavenly father might not be happy with a choice? What does, does he spank you? Does he take away your eye devices? Does he ground you? What what does he do? What does heavenly father do to let you know that he's, he's not happy?
1: Well, for me, it's more of, that's a really good question. I think it's more of a thought that comes into my mind is I know, I feel like heavenly father's love is constant and
0: I agree. sure,
1: and I agree. it never changes. But I distance myself from him, and I always you said know. It. You just said it. Yes. I call intuitive. it emptiness.
0: I call it emptiness.
1: Yes. He withdraws, I he
0: withdraws the spirit uh, somewhat. Not yes. all it, but he leaves. Yes. Or the spirit leaves. You still have light, but that light is not as bright.
1: It's not as bright.
0: Yeah, That's why my dad. And went. it's
1: always our choices that he never withdraws that himself. It's always our conscious, unconscious. I mean, you know, being angry, being, being not forgiving someone, being mad. Um, you know, it's always whenever I feel like, why aren't you there? Heavenly father. It's always, what am I doing to withdraw from him? Cause he's always there.
0: And I caused that same thing in the hospital. I caused that by my language. Therefore my dad left the room. Now I'm not comparing my dad to our heavenly father, but symbolically metaphorically um the scriptures teach us this we have to have a broken heart and a contrite spirit in order to receive the lesson that needs to be taught yes elder holland calls it being teachable on the farm out here we say you can lead a horse to water but you can't make the horse drink. that's true so the first thing in order for me to to turn and to find what what my purpose was and for our listeners is to ask ourselves are we teachable people do we have the broken heart and the contrite spirit that heavenly father is asking us to have um, in second nephi or are we stuck in the way we've always done things and we're not going to change for anybody yeah my dad came back in the room just like heavenly father always returns yes he never leaves us very long my dad came back and he said are you ready now or are you just going to be like all the other people in the world (gasps) oh That's, that's bold
1: that's very bold, especially to your son that's just had a life changing accident. Yeah, here,
0: that here's is. My, here's my response. Dad, please forgive me for saying bad words. You know, I needed to repent for that. So I asked for his forgiveness. But then I said, can we just be real? Can we can we just be realistic? I can't be a good husband because I can't hold her hand. We can't have any more children. Divorce is imminent, dad. I, I, I'm just trying to be real, dad. I can't be a good coach because I can't do a layup in basketball. That one's out. I can't be a good guide. I can't get on the horse. I can't pull the trigger on the 30-06. I can't draw back my bow. I can't get on the horse. I can't get on the four-year. Dad, that one's out. Dad, I can't be a good disciple. I can't even turn the pages on the book. And Dad, as far as being a contributor to my society, which is what Elder Maxwell called it, I don't think I can have a job because I can't. I just don't see where I can have a job. I mean, I guess I could be a good waiter. But all like I can do is go in a circle. That's not gonna work out too well. That's so 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 dad. He said, he said, son, I need you to stop that garbage right there. So I stopped, and then he said something very profound. He said, Do you notice what you just said in all those sentences? And Carmen, I'm just gonna ask you, did you catch it? I can't. Well, so use the first word only, the first word. I and that's what I need our listeners to hear, Carmen. That I learned. Um I'm really grateful for everybody that's listening to your podcast today. I think you're a great host. You're phenomenal. But I want our listeners to understand that the podcast they're listening to tonight or today is not for them. It's for everybody else that's going to benefit from their influence and their good because of something that they're thinking of based on the content of this podcast. Oh, I love that thought. The scripture says this, let your light shine forth that others might see your good works. And then glorify your father in heaven. Um, It also says in the verse before that, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick so that everybody else can see that light and then be, you know, their path will be guided. My dad said this, son, I can't let anybody else see your light because your light is dim. So I'm keeping them in the waiting room in the hospital. I'm not going to let your wife in. I'm not letting your kids in. I'm not letting your grandparents in. I'm not letting your brothers in. No one is allowed in here because you're too focused on yourself.
1: Oh my goodness. Your dad so your dad must have felt like it it was well, okay to say all that, right?
0: Well, my dad and I are close. I didn't think we were that close, but but he knows me. Too. And but think about this for him, Carmen. You have children. Yes. What if your children, let's just take your oldest. What if you found out that your oldest son was on a hospital bed and you're rushing to the hospital and your oldest son was hooked up to a trach. And you found out that your oldest son will never be able to walk again or use his hands as his mother. And I have children, too, Carmen, just like you. I don't know that I could. I don't know that I could. I mean, wouldn't it be so much easier to just let the doctors go, let them know what the stats are and the prognosis? That'd be so much easier. Let yeah. the doctors do their job. My dad did not want me to be a statistic. And I don't think the Heavenly Father wants us to be one either.
1: I totally agree. It, God doesn't it, 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 so
0: want you to be a statistic. He doesn't want, he's no. not over with math. Right. So my dad had the courage to come and talk to me so that not nothing against white coats, but they're going to tell me, you know, Hey, there's no cure for the spinal cord. You can plan on this. Yeah. You know, prepare yourself for this. And my dad wanted me to hear the blessing of that apostle.
1: What an amazing father.
0: So I don't know how to say any better than that, Carmen, but that's what, that's what happened.
1: It's, it's, it's perfect. And, and as you said that um, as a mother, that probably would have been more than I could have bared to see my son like that and, yeah. and and to see them broken, not only physically, but spiritually feeling broken
0: and easy for you to feel like as I would, there's nothing you can do, there's nothing that, can do. but in fact there is, yes, there is right the, as long as you don't give up hope. And that's what I love about my dad is God never, he always sees the potential and every broken thing. And every broken, he always sees the potential in that. Whereas as human beings and as imperfect people, we tend to look at everything that we've lost. So I have learned as a turning point, losing 95% of my body to focus on the 5% that i have still been given. And with that 5% more has come to me in the process. I mean,
1: so much more, so much more. And I love that you, I love that we have this theme of, of being broken, just like with those glow sticks, their potential is to be shine so bright and be so beautiful, but there has to be that point where they're broken. And I know you love animals and horses. And I actually was reading about being broken and breaking in a horse. And I'm sure you know this, but I just learned that the term, To break in a horse actually means to be allowed to be be led by. That's right. So when when in the scriptures it talks about coming to Christ with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, to me, what that means is that we are allowing him to lead us.
0: Be led by him.
1: To be led by him. Not that's profound. profound. Yes, and not ruining us, not not changing making us worse, but it's changing our nature from the wild carnal man, to the calm, to the broken, you know, person that's, uh, that's allowing Jesus Christ to lead us. And that's the only way if we're still wild and we're set in our ways and no, I'm not. And we buck against him. He can't make us into who we're meant to be.
0: That's right. goes back to that talk again, the Elder Holland gave. And I, I also think about that marathon that you were talking about and how crazy that was. I, I remember during that marathon, when we were in Mesquite, Nevada, we were almost there and kind of like Forrest Gump, if you've ever seen the movie Forrest Gump, where he oh, just yeah. stops, he just yes. stops.
1: He just he's just like, mm, that's good. I'm done. I'm, I'm done.
0: done. I'm, I'm gonna go home now. Yep. That's what I did, and I hadn't finished my marathon, so I, I stopped because I was tired. I was weary. I, I'd had stitches because I had fallen out of the chair once, and my hands were blistered and bloodied. And it was about two o'clock in the morning because it was so hot outside. So we changed it to, to, to pushing at night. And I just stopped, and I, and my dad got off of his motorcycle, and he came up to me, and he he said, "Everything okay?" And I said, "Yeah, I I, I think I'm done now." I, I I, and yet you can see Las Vegas, the destination. You can see it. It's 87 miles away from Mesquite. The the lights light up the sky. I can see where the I can see where I need to be, but so close. It's so close, but yet yet it's so far away. And I just think that you know I'm too tired. I can't make it. And he said, "Okay, I'll I'll take you back to the motorhome. We'll take you home." And so he picked me up out of the chair and he carried me back into the motorhome. And he said, "Before we turn this bus around and head home, can I talk to you for a minute?" I said, "You bet." He said, "How have you been measuring your success?" And I, I said, "I I don't understand what you're talking about. I what what, what do you mean?" He said, "Well, how have you been? Have you been measuring your progress every day?" Well, I said, "Well, I, I count how many miles I go." He said, by "How do you that? how do you do that? And I said, well, I don't know. I guess I'm looking at the, the mile markers. Yeah. And he said, that's right. I've been watching you. You're looking at the mile markers. And he said, that's not a bad way to measure son. but, but sometimes those mile markers come quicker and sometimes they come slower. He said, if you're willing to go back out and use a different mindset and instead of even looking to the right side for the mile markers, I'd like you to start counting the yellow stripes in the middle of the road. And if you're willing to do that, I'll be right by your side. I'll walk by you. I'll get off the motorcycle and let's just see what happens. And I said, well, I don't like the idea, but I trust you. And I think sometimes we need to put our trust in our father in heaven as well. Yes. I don't like the idea, but I'll trust you, dad. So he carried me back out and Carmen on day number eight, which is the day that I quit. I pushed just over 900 stripes on day number 10. I pushed 4300 stripes and on day number on day number, that would be day number 10 and the night number 10, I pushed 11,000 stripes and on that on that 11,000 stripe, I hit Apex Junction. For those listeners that don't know where that is, that's only 17 miles away from Las Vegas and it's the last press before you go downhill into the into the, into the strip. So we waited until day number 11 at nine o'clock in the morning. They shut the strip down. There was a helicopter above us, full police escort. And I coasted my way to the finish line. And it was unreal because people started coming out of the casinos because it was broadcast on the TV screen. They were running out at nine in the morning. Now, granted, they were all drunk. But I didn't, <laughs> care. I didn't care if they were drunk. I, they were cheering me on. And when they were I cheering me on. Yes. And when I crossed the finish line at the barrage, I remember what my dad said was true when he said son it's not the big things that make the difference the the big the big grand good things that you do it's the little tiny things that you do the little tiny acts of kindness the little tiny measurements the the stripes each stripe that, that will make the biggest difference and I want big- our listeners to focus on that
1: and did you literally count every stripe? Did you After
0: I did. Yeah, and every night we recorded them, but not up and not not before then. I did not
1: before that, but after yeah. that moment, you counted yeah. forty-three hundred. I never looked at mile markers
0: again. I did. I never did. I just look at the stripes, just count them. again. and I missed a bunch, but I yeah. do not care. I just, I just, I just, It was progress because I'd yep. see passing stripes, so I would, I would miss I'd start over at one again. That it didn't matter. I was just looking at stripes. It was all progress. Stripes. So, yeah. So that, that's kind of how we did that. And otherwise, I wouldn't have finished.
1: So I need to go back a little bit and back to the day of your accident. Tell us really quickly what your diagnosis was. You uh, were quadriplegic.
0: C, uh, C5, C6 level. So I lost my – I can tell you what that means. Is that what you want to know?
1: Yeah, because I want to uh, know – yep, I want to know what you were diagno- – what, what your prognosis was. Sure. And then
0: change that. That's still the same. It's been twenty years, and that's twenty years. So I lost my feet, I lost my legs, I lost the use of my midsection, I lost the use of all my stomach muscles, and I lost two out of my three chest muscles. So the only muscle that I have in my chest is what it's called the diaphragm. It's what allows me to breathe without a trach.
1: And it allows singers to sing.
0: Yeah. And singers, that's right. And singers to sing. And I, um, I was able to wean myself off of that trach three months later. Right. I did lose the complete use of all 10 fingers and my hands and I lost my forearms. I have no filling in my tricep. I have a little bit in the bicep and I have perfect shoulders and I can fill my neck perfectly. And I sustained no brain damage that night.
1: And this oh. came from that light that was on the tractor. Mm-hmm. What was the accident that, that caused that?
0: The accident, because I ignored that warning light, there wasn't enough hydraulic in the tank. So, like an empty fuel tank. And that, um, I had a bale of hay suspended in the air to feed the elk that night. And because the oil pressure wasn't high enough to hold the bale in place, when I put my tractor in reverse and then tapped the brakes, the momentum of the heavy bale up high, right. It just, common sense, it just rolled over and that's what landed on my body. It punched my head to the steering wheel. And a shaft went through my mouth, breaking everything in its path. The doctors were able to fix all the bones. In fact, I know that you can see it. Our listeners can't, but you can see it right there. Tell yep. me you see. Can you see it? Can you see the scar?
1: Yes, I can. Yep. It's right
0: yep. in front of my neck. The doctors went in and they used titanium and welded it all back together. But there's no glue for the spinal cord. There's no, no. stitches. There's right. no duct tape. And so that's where my new life was to begin.
1: Can I ask who found you?
0: My wife did,
1: yeah. Did she just realize, where is he? He hasn't come home yet. No,
0: I have a video that I usually play. Um, people can go look it up on YouTube if they look up my name. Chandel saw the blood on the dirt tire. And she saw, so she came up because, remember, I was in a hurry home. Yes. To watch to my son, son take the steps play, and to play ball. Mm-hmm. I never would make it home. And here's another irony. The day that my son took his first steps.
1: You took your last.
0: Right. And it would be three and a half months later that I would see his first steps.
1: It's oh. a, spe- it's
0: not a sad day. It's a great day. Yeah. We celebrate every year. It's, a, it's, it's a great day. The day that I saw him walk for the first time is also the same day that we played catch in the hospital bed for the first time. It would be oh. three and a half months later that I would witness his first steps. So it's really not a sad thing. It's, 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 it's emotional because it's, it's a, it's a great blessing because I was still here to see that and to witness that. So,
1: And that is such a blessing that your life was spared. I mean, your head could have easily have been severed. You could have been crushed. I mean, there's so many things that could have happened. So what made you decide to do that marathon? Was it more like, I need to prove that I can do something impossible and prove that it's possible to do something that you don't think you can? Or was it, I want to set a record? What was the motivation behind doing the Salt Lake to Vegas ride?
0: Two months before my accident, this is a great way to wrap up for sure. Um, my dad at, was at his insurance sales meeting in Dallas, Texas, where they bring in their top sales reps. And my dad was in the insurance business. And when he was there, he heard a speaker speak from the platform. And my dad declared it the most inspirational, thought-provoking message he had ever heard. Maybe outside of a church talk or a conference, he loved it. My, it's uncanny of my dad to buy to buy promotional items. You know, um, to go to the yeah. it's just not my. It's just not my dad's style. After my dad heard this guy speak, he went to buy his book at his book table and to buy his VHS tape. That's how old we're talking. Oh. He bought his VHS,
1: VHS. tape.
0: <laughs> yeah, he bought his VHS tape, and he bought his book. And awesome. um, my dad, when he came home, tried to get me and my brothers with our spouses over to watch this tape. We never would make it happen. We were just too busy in our lives. We never, we never did accept my dad's invitation to go watch this, this guy speak. The guy was in a wheelchair. His name was Art Berg. He was a quadriplegic. And so mm-hmm. a few months later, my dad's oldest son would break his neck. And when you're in a hospital and you're laying flat on your back, you really have no choice about what you're watching yeah. You know, your your parents are going to make you watch whatever they want. So my dad had me watch that.
1: Perfect page. time. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And when I watched it, Carmen, I don't remember what he said. I wasn't really inspired by the words. Not that they weren't inspired. I just wasn't, I wasn't paying attention to that. Yeah. Here's what I was watching. His hands looked like mine. He was happy and I wasn't. He was producing and contributing What everything that Elder Maxwell told me, I was now witnessing with my eyes, and it was I was watching on a TV screen. So I needed more, Carmen. It'd be like somebody hearing you sing, and they need more of you because it makes them better. Art made me, it was my medicine of choice. I needed more drugs, I needed more. So my dad called his office and ordered more. Here's the key remember about we were talking about acts of good. We didn't know that the delivery person was going to be Art Berg himself. We had no, no idea. way. Art came and saw me. He brought it to me. And before he gave me all the extra DVD or I'm sorry, VHS tapes and the books and his poster that he signed for me, he transferred himself, same level as me, from his wheelchair to my hospital bed. And he started to remove his clothes, not in a perverted way, but to show me what was possible. Right. For the next few months, I followed him. Not on social media; Facebook and Instagram didn't exist back then. Yeah, right. I, I followed his website, and I found out that he was a speaker. He was married to a beautiful gal named Dallas. They had three adopted children, and oh. Artberg also spoke that year, two thousand and one, the year I was hurt for the Baltimore Ravens, who won the Super Bowl. Awesome. So that year. Art, because he was the, one of their consultants and one of their coaches and trainers, he had tickets to the Pro Bowl in Hawaii where Ray Lewis was playing, in his, was playing his first Pro Bowl. So he invited Shondell and I to go watch Ray Lewis play. So he paid for our tickets. Oh, how so fun. Shondell and I flew nine months after my injury. We flew to Hawaii. Not not hard to say yes, right, when someone pays yeah. for everything, So we flew. And Art Burke also spoke in Hawaii while he was there. To the Pro Bowl uh, teams that were yeah. playing against each other. That was February 16th, 2002. Nine months after. I got hurt in April. 2001. Yeah. Nine months later, that's February. Two days after we got home is when I got the phone call. At 6 o'clock in the morning that Art had passed away in his sleep.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: He had had an allergic reaction to medication. And oh, And it paralyzed my goodness. his lungs. And I had never had a greater loss. That was that was my pandemic all over again. That was my yeah. all over. Just started, I, I had lost my medicine, my my inspiration. I mean, it'd be like the apostles losing their savior. That's what art was for me. So I asked my wife to leave me alone. And I went out on the asphalt road. And I started pushing my chair. And that's when it came to me as though he were talking to me. Art set the prior record in his wheelchair from Salt Lake to St. George. And that's when it hit. I wonder if this world, is not missing something now that Art's gone? And if I can't feel that void. That's when I started to train for the marathon and I started to speak. And that's what happened.
1: Oh, my goodness. How that's incredible. What
0: that's what happened. That's, that's what happened.
1: And we all need someone in our lives that gives us that hope that you're talking about. We we need that influence, and if we if we don't have that, Chad, if we don't have someone like an art or like a Chad that people can look up to, what what can people do? Who can they turn? I mean, obviously the savior, but do you think that yeah. it's possible to say that we can focus on being that for someone?
0: Yeah, that, I think that that's just that's that. for me because people have often come to me, Carmen, and they said, "So when did you finally figure it out? When did it go away?" Well, yeah, are you joking me? I still have depressing days. I still have bad days. I have bad, but a bad moment does not equate to a bad day. It's a bad moment. Right. I've got to quickly get my mind out of it. And then you just said it yourself. You nailed it, Karma, perfectly. My best drug today, which is why I've been struggling during COVID, has been to be with other people. Because whenever I'm with other people on a platform, it's not so much about the accolades or the most inspirational speaker or being one of the top 20. speakers. I don't, none of that is what drives me. What yeah. drives me is serving other people because two things happen when you serve other people. The first thing is you're focused on them and not you. Yeah. The second thing is you don't have time to worry about your problems when you're focused on somebody else's problems. True. So that's been my drug of choice since. Now that doesn't mean I don't have bad moments. I just don't want to turn those into bad days. I need to make sure I keep it a moment, not a day.
1: I That's love it. that advice. A
0: bad day is just a bunch of bad moments. We just keep thinking mm-hmm. in our head, right? That's all a bad day is.
1: We keep recirculating them. Yeah. We keep mm-hmm. recirculating
0: bad moments. So just make it make a bad moment a bad moment and then get right. on with it real quick. I got to get rid of So when I have those bad moments and I think about, you know, to myself, if I could only hold her hand, maybe I could really do something. If I could only – stand up. Maybe I could dance with her to our favorite country song. Then I could really... And the truth of that is that that's probably true. But then I think, well, she can sit on my lap and we could still dance. Or maybe I could just hold her hand and we can watch her movie. More comes to me in, my, in that process. And our marriage has been better because of that. So,
1: Well, Chad, you are so inspirational. I am so grateful for this time we've been able to talk this morning. I loved hearing about your relationship with your father. It's it's obvious that you have a very close relationship and that your dad is a very spiritual, in-tune man. He knew how to take care of you. He knew what to say. He knew how to help guide you. And because of his influence in your life, you were able to have that hope to go on and be that influence in your own children's lives and in the lives of thousands of others thousands of others across the globe I, I would add one more thing when you said there's two things that happens when you serve people that you forget about yourself and what was the second thing you said you forget about yourself
0: you don't have time to worry about your own you have time own.
1: to worry about your own problems and yeah. I would add one more and this is what I've learned too is that you feel the Savior's love yeah. through you yeah. for yeah. them and there have been times when, when I've thought I don't really enjoy what I'm doing. This is hard. Serving others sometimes isn't easy or convenient. And then something switches, and when when you truly are serving someone, and and this happens as a mother all the time, and I can feel Heavenly Father's love for the people that I'm serving, and it makes me want to do it more because he, he they feel loved through you. You feel His love through you for them, and it's just like this amazing, glowing feeling and it's incredible and that's what makes you want to do it more because the more you serve, the more love you feel and you just think, oh, imagine if we all felt that kind of love. I think that's really what service is. It's just giving and receiving love and, oh man, there's not a better time to give that away right now And, and you are doing so much good, Chad, by giving that love away to not only your family but to so many others and I thank you so much for being such an incredible example of how Heavenly Father can make you glow through being broken. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for all the good you're doing.
0: Thanks for taking the time to have me. I've really enjoyed this. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you, Chad. If you've been listening and you want to share with your friends and family, tell them to download the R Turtle House app. My podcast, Doing Good, is exclusive to the app, but you also get so many other amazing firesides and tips from Hank, Smith, Meg Johnson, John, by the way, and lots of great tips for teens too. So tell your friends and family, and hopefully you'll be able to get inspired and learn how you can do some good too.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. If you'd like to hear more from Carmen and get brand new full-length talks you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers like John, by the way, Meg Johnson and Hank Smith, you can exclusively inside our turtle house and you can join today for just a dollar. Go to ourturtlehouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.